1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. I'm going to read. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. So you guys follow with me, okay? I know it's a lot, but you can do it, right? Say, I can do it. I can follow along. Y'all don't sound very convincing. Can you do it? Okay. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in this flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, that the time is short, so that from now on, even as those who have wives should be as though, as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the, wor- of the Lord, and he who, that he may please or how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, understand the toward his virgin daughter. If she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. 
Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin daughter, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. That's a big chunk of Scripture, and it deals with a lot of things. But I think we can kind of boil this down. Remember, we've talked a lot about this as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, that Paul has a lot to say, and a lot of it revolves around our identity, who we are in Christ. How are we to live our lives? We're not to live our lives a certain way so that we can gain God's favor and become saved. If we have, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, been born again and have become partakers of the divine nature, and now Christ is our life, then our life, our walking, what we manifest to those outwardly should be consistent with what is true inwardly. So Paul, in much of this, is reminding these Corinthians who they are, who their identity is. Their identity is Christ. It's not their gift. It's not their social status. It's not their station in life. Christ is our identity. It's not your calling. It's not your station in life that we find that identity. Christ transcends all of this. So let's look at, let's look at the very, let's go back to the beginning of this, and I want to look at verse 17, because this to me is kind of the crux of the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, so I ordain in all the churches. I want you to notice there, maybe if you have a highlighter or a pencil, I want you to underline the word distributed. He says, as God has distributed. And then he says, as the Lord has called. That word called is important. And then he says, so let him walk. So we see that God has distributed, the Lord has called, and we are to walk a certain way. So The basis of everything I'm going to talk to you about today revolves around these three things. The fact that God has distributed, the fact that the Lord has called, and the fact that we are to walk a certain way. So this word distributed is a word that means God has parted out or God has apportioned. In the Greek New Testament, when the Old Testament is quoted in the book of Acts, and it talks about how God distributed to the tribes the land of promise. This is the word that's used. God meted out. He parted out. He apportioned to those tribes. He distributed. And so the Bible says God has distributed to every man, or God has distributed to each one. 
In other words, God has made us who we are, where we are, and how we are. I don't know how many of you, personally, I think bald is beautiful. Okay, I don't have a problem being bald. But I didn't get to ask God before I was born. God didn't ask me, do you want to have hair all your life or do you want to go bald? He didn't ask me that. He didn't ask me if I wanted blonde hair, red hair, black hair, brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. He didn't ask me how big I wanted my foot to be. He didn't ask me how tall I wanted to be or how short I wanted to be. He didn't ask me what city I wanted to be born in. He didn't ask me who I wanted my parents to be. God distributed to me as he willed. God distributes to each one. He apportions to each one. God has made us who we are, where we are, and how we are. We didn't choose our city of birth, our nation of birth, our ethnicity. We didn't even choose our social status at birth. So this is important. God has distributed to each one. He has parted out and apportioned to each one as he wills. The Lord is called, not based on our station in life, not based on what we necessarily want or desire. See, before I came to faith in Christ, when I became aware that what God wanted was the surrender of my life to him, And I resisted that surrender. For about a year, I very actively resisted surrendering to his will. And part of my resistance to surrendering to his will was, you picked a really inconvenient time to call me God. There's nothing about my life right now that fits with what I think you want me to do. Everything in my life right now, as a matter of fact, seems contrary to what you want. And honestly, God, I'm more interested in what I want right now than what you want. So I resisted his will. I didn't have the luxury to say, now God, if you'll just... I had a a roommate in college in, in and after I finally, you know, after God just broke me and I, and I, I just surrendered to him. And my, my three college roommates thought that I had absolutely lost my mind. They really did. And uh, I remember one, and all, I think two of them I know, maybe the third one, but I know two of them, were they were both raised in church, you know. Of course, I wasn't raised in church and they thought I'd gone crazy. It's like, we've gone to church all our life. What are you talking about? You know, you sounds like you've joined a cult or you've become brainwashed or something, you know? There's nothing wrong with doing what we do and living the way we do. We just go to church on Sunday and we confess and we do this and we do that and it's all good. You know, God knows. God understands. He knows you're just a college kid and wanting to have fun. He's not hung up on those things. And so, you know, they thought I lost my mind. And... The thing is, and so as I talked to, to one of my old roommates, he would say, you know, when I, when I get married one day and I settle down and I get all my wild, so all my wild oats, then I'll live that life you're talking about. 
You know, it wasn't really just about living that life or modifying our behavior. You all know that. Salvation's not behavior modification. We're not saved by modifying our behavior. But there is a reality. There is a way that God wants us to walk. God calls us in His will, in His time, in His way. And He doesn't ask our opinion about when He calls us. He doesn't say, is this a convenient time for me to call you? He doesn't do that. So wherever we are, when God calls us, when the Lord calls us, that's that's where we are. This is what Paul is saying. Look, God called you in the place you are. You are a slave when God called you. Walk out your life in Christ as a slave. If you have the opportunity to be free, take the opportunity. So God has distributed, the Lord has called. He called us while we were, who we are, where we are, and how we are. And then he says, let him walk. How are we to walk? We're to walk according to Christ, who is our life. So if I'm called as a slave, I'm not to walk as a slave. I'm to walk as a freed man in Christ. The fact that I might still be a slave outwardly is is really... It doesn't matter. Now, I don't want you to get hung up. Well, are you saying you just need to, we need to go through the whole letter here and we need to go through this whole thing and, and understand what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. So we walk according to Christ who is our life and we do that wherever we are, whenever we are, in whatever state we find ourselves in. So God is distributed, the Lord is called, and we are to walk according to Christ. So Paul begins, and he goes on, and he says, Was, any, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. In Paul's day, there was this thing where as... As Christianity began to spread, there were, well, even before then, there were people who were circumcised who would try to deny or cover or hide their circumcision. And they would, because of the stigma, because of the things that came with it. And so Paul says, look, don't. Don't try to act as though you're not circumcised. If you're circumcised, don't worry about it. If you're uncircumcised, don't feel like you have to become circumcised. So this is what the Jews wanted to do. They wanted to make all of the Gentiles become Jews in order to have salvation. In Acts, Acts, they write the letter. The letter's recorded there that they sent to the Gentile churches and says, you don't have to convert to Judaism. You don't have to keep the law. You need to refrain from sexual immorality. You need to refrain from... Uh, eating food sacrificed to idols. And you don't have to keep the law. So Paul says, circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Those things are not important. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God, that is what matters. What is the commandment? Of God. Is he talking about fulfilling the law? Remember what Jesus said, John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love 
one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. We're studying 1 John in Sunday morning Bible study. And 1 John is filled with this language about love and about loving one another and about if we confess that we love God but we don't have love for one another, then something's not right. John just lays it right out there and he says, you're a liar. And so we see that to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, that is going to translate into how we love one another, how we unify and how we love together and how we work together and how we live out this gospel together. And so he says, these things are nothing. And then in verse 20, he says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So Paul is saying, your identity is not in your calling. Your identity is not in whether you're a slave or a free man. Your identity is not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, a Jew or a Gentile. Your identity is Christ. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't be, con- don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, then use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Now that's easy for us to say here in free America, right? I mean, especially in America, I'm not any man's slave. Especially in Texas, no one's going to make me a slave. I mean, this whole concept of rugged individualism is what defines America. It's what defines, even more so, being a Texan. We love to take pride in our rugged individualism. You know, that can come back to bite us. Because the reality of the gospel is, I am extremely dependent upon the Lord. (laughs) I am totally dependent upon the Lord. But we don't like dependency in America. We like independence, not dependence. And so Paul is saying, look, you guys, if you're a slave, don't worry about it. In Christ, you are free. Yeah, but I want to be I want to be free of my servitude. Well, if you can be made free of your servitude, then use it. Be made free. But if you can't be made free, then understand your freedom is not defined by something outwardly. Do we understand this today? Do you guys understand that your freedom is not defined by a constitution? I love our constitution. I love our nation. I love the fact that we are free. And, and I believe we, we should be the model for every nation on earth in terms of of civil liberties and freedom. But that does not define our freedom. Christ defines our freedom. If our Constitution went away tomorrow, then don't think it's not possible. If we became just as restricted as a country like China or, 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 or some of these areas where we, we've lost our religious freedom. We've lost our freedom of speech. Would we as believers have lost our freedom? No. 
Because the freedom that we have in Christ transcends the things that are outward. That's hard for us to comprehend. But I'm telling you that you need a revelation from the Spirit of God of just how free Christ has made you. And it's not free to go and do your own thing. It's not free to live your own life and your own will and make your own decisions. And God's got to forgive me in the end because God is love. And Jesus died on the cross, and so that guarantees my forgiveness. That's a total and complete misunderstanding of God's grace and God's gospel. Now, what God set us free from is something much greater than just the ability of 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 a person to make their own choices, to go where they want, to do what they want. The freedom that God has given us in Christ is the freedom from sin and death. If we don't understand how bound by sin we were before we were set free in Christ, if we don't understand how bound by the nature of sin and death humanity is, we will never understand our salvation. We'll never really understand the gospel. The news is only as good as my understanding of what I've been set free from. I mean, if I have the common cold and I get over it, that's great. But if I have a terminal illness that the world says there is no hope, no cure, no way, you will face certain death. And it's not going to be pretty. And it's not going to be painless. But I am healed of that, set free from that. Well, I, I feel a lot different about that healing than I do getting over the common cold, don't I? See, depending on how we see our sin, is, is our sin like the common cold or a kind of a severe case of the flu? Or do we understand the terminal nature of our sinfulness? apart from Christ. If we understand the terminal nature of our sinfulness apart from Christ, and we experience the healing that only Christ can bring, there is going to be something in me that will rejoice, that will glory in the Lord, that will, that will tell me, even though I can't comprehend the depth of it, that God has done something powerful, something beyond my imagination, something beyond what I could ever hope or think or ask or even imagine. See, when I was all caught up in the word of faith, prosperity gospel, that scripture, God's going to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can think or ask. I always applied that to cars and clothes and homes and material blessings. That is almost... That is a travesty to even take that scripture and apply it to anything other than what Paul is talking about. What he is talking about is our deliverance from the power of sin and death that we are totally and completely incapable of delivering ourselves from. And we are so far sunk into this mire of sin and death, the blackness of it, that we can't even imagine in our wildest imaginations what it would take to come out of that. But God has done beyond our wildest imagination, beyond what we can even think or hope or ask. He's done it. 
He's done it in Christ. And so Paul says, do you have, Corinthians, do you have the revelation of who you are in Christ? Do you have the revelation of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Are you still hung up about whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're circumcised or whether you're uncircumcised? Do you not know what Christ has done for you? Do you not know that your identity is not in those outward things, but your identity is in the Son of God who came for you, who died for you, who was buried for you, who rose again for you, who ascended to the right hand of majesty on high for you, and he has now seated you in heavenly places with him, and we're hung up on these things? That's, this is really what Paul is, is in essence saying. So when he says in verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Slave, free, doesn't matter. What he's saying is, our freedom is not from man, but our freedom is in the Lord by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And our freedom is not just from natural, outward things. Our freedom is from the nature of sin and death. And we need to get a revelation of what that really means, of just how dark and desperate we were apart from Christ. That's what Christ set us free from. So we've been set free from sin and from death in Christ. Our liberty is in Christ. It's not defined by our outward or physical circumstances, but by the inward transformation of the Spirit. Do you have an ongoing revelation of the freedom that you have in Christ? Do you have an ongoing, increasing, growing revelation of who you are in Christ? This is the work of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit wants to do. This is why in life, you realize God uses everything in our life. There is not anything wasted by God. Y'all believe that? You believe God wastes anything? I'm telling you what, God does not waste anything. God doesn't waste one circumstance. God doesn't waste anything, good, bad, or ugly, that happens in our life. Hard, difficult, easy, pleasant, unpleasant, God doesn't waste anything. Now, we might not be conscious of how God is using those things, We might be totally oblivious as to how he's using those things. But I'm telling you what, God is ever working by his spirit, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ever bringing us to this place where we grow in the knowledge and the revelation of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we grow in that knowledge, we grow in the understanding that our freedom is not determined by our outward circumstances. Our identity is not determined by how rich or poor, by how tall or short. It's not determined by anything outwardly. It's determined by everything that has transpired inwardly. So it's by the inward transformation of the Spirit delivering us from sin and death into the life of the Son. But here's here's what happens. The outward begins to give way 
to the inward. So when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is an expectation in that newness that there will be a giving away of the outward to that which is inward. The very same way when we come to springtime and we go to the trees that appear to be dead and lifeless and we begin to see the bud of new life, there is something inside, there is a life in there and the outward is giving way to that which is inward. And soon that bud blossoms and blooms and then before you know it, you got a big, ripe, juicy peach hanging on the end of that branch because what was inward gave way. The outward gave way to the inward. The life of Christ in us must come out. This outward flesh must give way to the inward life of the Spirit. So the outward gives way to the inward. The natural gives way to the spiritual. The kingdom of this world gives way to the kingdom of our God. When Christ was born in that manger, I'm telling you what, the kingdom of this world had to give way to the kingdom of God. It didn't matter what powers and what principalities. It didn't matter whether it was rulers in the heavens or rulers in the earth. The kingdom of God was going to push its way through and out of and break through the kingdom of this world. It has been doing that. It is doing that right now. And it will never stop doing that until Jesus comes again. And we will one day see the full manifestation. And the kingdom of our God will swallow up in totality the kingdom of this world. The spiritual, I didn't say the immaterial. See, when we say the word spiritual, a lot of times we think it's not material. It's the immaterial world. When I say that the flesh has to give way to the spirit, I'm not talking about something that's not material. I'm talking about the nature of things. Listen, I am a spiritual being living in a flesh body, but my identity is not fleshly. I'm not of this world any longer, though I'm in the world. You're not, if you're born again, of this world any longer, though you are in the world. If you are in Christ, you are of the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're immaterial. I mean, if I hit you in the arm really hard, if I frog you in the arm, you're going to bruise, right? Because you've got a real body. But, but you're not defined by the flesh. You are in Christ defined by the Spirit. So don't confuse spiritual with immaterial because that's not what that means. So corruption will one day put on incorruption as we are continuously being conformed to the image of the Son by the power of the Spirit. And we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. How? By the washing of the water of the Word. Your brain's not going to get washed any other way except by the Word of God. Your mind's not going to get renewed any other way except by the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean you have to 
24 hours a day be reading your Bible. But, but what, are you, what are you meditating on? What are you thinking on? What do you ponder? What do you lay in bed at night and, and think about? You lay there and you, you worry about all your troubles and all the things that are happening. I know that's a great temptation to do. I fight the same temptation. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who what? Who meditates day and night in the word of the Lord. That's not a legalistic thing. That's a life thing. I mean, what is our default mode? Is our default mode the worries and the cares of this world? Or is our default mode going back to the promises of God? Faith in the one who is faithful. But I I can't see the answer. I can't see a way out. I can't see how this is going to resolve. It doesn't matter whether you can see it or not. Do you trust in the one who can see? Do you trust in the one who does know? Do you trust in the one who, before time began, before the worlds were created, already knew the outcome of your situation and your circumstance? Who do you trust in? Do you walk by faith or do you walk by sight? Are you putting your trust in whether you're slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, married or unmarried, rich or poor? Whether you can handle all your problems or whether you feel like you can't. Whether you feel like you're in control of your life or whether you feel like you're out of control in your life. Because the reality is, if you think you're in control of your life, it's just an illusion. You're really not. I don't care how together you are, how organized you are, how you're not in control of your life. Who are you putting your trust in? Who? Look at verse 25. So he goes, he says, now concerning virgins. Now this can, he's talking about unmarried people here. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Now, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is a, it's good for a man to remain as he is. Paul was single. Paul was celibate. He said, I wish all men were like me. I wish all men had the gift that I have. God's given me this gift. I'm not hung up on being married. And it's not whether it's bad or whether it's good. Paul has a very practical reason why he addresses this. He advises against marriage if unmarried for the simple reason of having to deal with the cares, concerns, and responsibilities of married life. He goes into detail in that in verse 28, verses 32 through 35. His desire was to be without care or without distraction as you preach the gospel, as you did the work of ministry. But you need to understand that this is not a command from the Lord, and Paul makes this very clear. This isn't a command from the Lord. This is just my judgment. So if you do marry, he says in verse 28, you have not committed a sin. And if a virgin marries, they have not committed a sin. So when we teach through a passage like this, it's very easy to hear what the scripture is not saying. And this is why I stress the importance of your identity in Christ. 
Because if your identity is, is in anything but Christ, if, if you're hung up on what is defining, the, def- the thing that defines your life right now, and it's different for everybody. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's relationships. For some people, it's status. What, what is it that is defining your life? If I were to ask you to just take a moment, I'm not going to do it, but if you get home today and you just take a moment, you close your eyes and you just get quiet before the Lord and you ask God from an honest heart, you say, God, what is it that defines my life? What is it that I am causing to define my life? What is it I'm hung up on in terms of how my life is defined? If it's anything other than Christ, then God needs to help you because your identity, what defines your life, needs to be first and foremost at the very foundation, Christ. This is what Paul is saying. So Christ is your foundation. He's your identity. Oh, you're unmarried? Well, I think it's better for you to stay unmarried if you're serious about, you know, doing the work of ministry and being totally and completely undistracted. I'm just telling you that in my judgment, this isn't a command from the Lord. It's, this is what Paul is saying. He's not, there's no condemnation in either way we go here. He's just saying, this is my experience, this is my judgment. I'm trying to save you some trouble if that's really what you want to do. But if you, if the Lord leads you and if you feel in your heart that you're to marry, then you don't commit a sin if you marry. Whether you're a virgin or whether you've had a husband or a wife before and and now you're widowed. So we could go back to verse 2, verse 6, verse 9 in this chapter where he talks about battling with sexual immorality and And if you can't exercise self-control, then it's better to marry. So this is the danger of if we're going to cherry-pick a verse and someone comes to you and says, now see what Paul says here in this verse is it's better if you don't marry. We can't make that as a freestanding statement because God ordained marriage in the beginning, right? Marriage is an honorable and a sacred thing. But remember, in Paul's day, to be celibate was seen as something not good. And so Paul is just simply saying, if you remain single, if you remain celibate, there is honor in that. There's nothing wrong with that in spite of what the culture of the day is telling you. If you want to get married, get married. If you want to stay single, stay single. Let's skip down to verse, let's go to verse 32. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the world, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares for the, about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world now, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you. 
but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Do you see Paul's concern that you may serve the Lord without distraction? That doesn't mean that you can't serve the Lord well, very well, if you're married. I'm married. I've got three kids, okay? But this is where we need to use wisdom and we need to use discernment. We can't make a judgment and say one is wrong and the other is right. So this goes back to this greater question beyond marriage or not marriage of how did God, what did God distribute to me? How did the Lord call me? And Paul just uses as a principle here that you remain in the calling with which God called you. So, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, married or single, whatever state you find yourself, a person is to find contentment in whatever station of life they are in. This isn't about what's right or what's wrong. This is about you understanding who your identity is. This is about you learning to be content right where you are. That doesn't mean you have to stay where you are. It doesn't mean you have to stay in the state that you are in. Okay? Ladies, if you don't like being a brunette, then you can dye your hair blonde. There's no sin in that, right? But God made you a brunette. And at some point in time, you need to come to grips with, I'm a brunette, that's the way God made me, and I don't have to feel compelled to color my hair. Or there's a reason why I don't wear a toupee or a wig, right? I'm cool with being bald. It's okay. Sometimes I wish I had hair. Sometimes I'm glad I don't have hair. Now, I could wear a toupee if I wanted to. God, why would I want to? They're more trouble than they're worth. Or I could wear a cap all the time, you know, and let this grow out and it would look like I had hair, but I really wouldn't until I took my cap off, you know. It's okay. It's the way God made me. So my identity's not wrapped up in that. Now, those are kind of trivial things. But some of you struggle with deeper issues. And I'm saying, submit those deeper issues to the Lord. Don't feel that you have to stay in the state that you're in for the rest of your life. But here's the thing. God says, you know what? If you do stay in the state that you're in for the rest of your life, can you be content in me? If you're unmarried now, and you remain unmarried, the question is, can you be content in the Lord? God forbid if you're married now and you are going, what in the world was I thinking? The question is, can you become content being married and can you begin to flourish in that? If Christ is not your identity, you'll never flourish in anything. Because your life, your quality of life is going to be dependent upon all of these outward things. And until your life 
and the quality of your life and whether your life is flourishing or not is defined by Christ and his life, you're going to find it very hard to be content in the state that you are in. Does that make sense? So a person is defined contentment in whatever station of life they're in. And that's true if they remain in that station of life or if they seek another. This is the liberty we have in the Lord. Paul is giving liberty here. He says, you don't have to remain in this state. You can change if you want to. I'm just telling you practical reasons why you should or you shouldn't, in my opinion. This isn't a command from the Lord. But here is what underlies all of that. Christ must become our joy. He must become our life, our peace, the reason for everything. So we go back to verse 17. God in his sovereignty has distributed to every man. And you say, yeah, but you know, Pastor Jeff, I've really made a mess of my life. Been there, done that. Right? Still doing that. Okay? Pastors aren't amused to making messes. So what do we do? What do we do with our messes? We give them to God. We trust in the promise that God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are the called according to His purpose. If we're in sin, we repent of our sin. And we fall on the mercy of God. God has distributed in His sovereignty to each one. God made you who you are, where you are, how you are. He is the sovereign God over all and in all. Do you know how I I know that that is... Our culture doesn't get that. Now, I personally don't believe... I I would never tell someone that has... Someone asked me just the other day, do you think tattoos are a sin? And I said, not necessarily. I think the greater question is, why do you feel compelled to get a tattoo? And you look at the way people alter their appearances. I mean, the um, plastic surgery, do you realize... The, the amount of people getting plastic surgery has just, it's, it's, it's off the charts. I don't like my skinny lips, so I want to make my lips fatter. I don't like my little this, I want to make them bigger. I don't like my big this, I want to make it smaller. I don't like my nose, I want to change the shape. I don't like my cheekbones, I want them to look higher. What are we saying? I don't like the way God made me, is what we're saying. What we're saying is my contentment and my identity is not, not in Christ. It's, it's in all these outward things. And so now we have the ability to alter all of these outward things. And people are doing it. And it's like, it's like a big flashing sign saying, I don't like the way God made me. This is why the gospel is so important, church. This is why we need to be preaching no other message than the gospel of Christ. Because God's rejection of us had nothing to do with any physical or outward appearance. God's rejection of us had to do with 
our very nature that we were born with. God's acceptance of us doesn't have anything to do with anything outwardly. God's acceptance of us has everything to do with the new birth that is the gift that he gives us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to learn to be content with the way God made us, who we are, where we are, and how we are, and recognize that he is the sovereign over all. The Lord, in his will and in his time, has called each one. The Lord is calling you right now. The Lord calls us constantly. Do you believe that? Listen, the call of the Lord is not just a one-time thing. I know salvation. You got saved? Yes. But our salvation even is not just a one-time experience that we just put away and then, you know, we're just waiting to get to heaven now. Now listen, our salvation... Remember, it's not just a thing we possess, it's who possesses us. So when we talk about our salvation, we need to think not what we have, but who has us. And the question is, in terms of our salvation, is are you growing in the ability to see Christ? Is the image of Christ before you becoming clearer and clearer and clearer? Or is it becoming dimmer and dimmer and dimmer? What are you setting your eyes on? What are you setting your gaze on? If you are setting your gaze on Christ because he's your identity, I promise you the image of Christ will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Not only to you, but through you as others observe your life. But if that thing that defines you is other than Christ, the reality is that's what you're going to have your eyes on. And God, by His Spirit, is saying, get your eyes off of those things. Get your eyes off of that thing and put your eyes back on me. The Lord, in His will and in His time, has called each one. He called us while we were who we are, He called us where we are. He called us how we are. He is the sovereign Lord who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we are to walk in submission to His will and His way in all things, in every station of life that we find ourselves. We are to walk, I'm going to say that again, we are to walk in submission to His will and His way in all things, just like Jesus did with the Father. Because Christ is our life. Because Christ is our life, our life is submitted to the will of the Father. Because Christ was submitted to the will of the Father. So we walk in submission to His will in all things, in every station of life. We walk according to Christ in whatever or wherever and however our station in life might be. We learn to be content in His will and in His way. We pray even as Jesus prayed, not my will, Father, but Thy will be done. Where? On earth, even as it is in heaven.
Now, it's one thing for me to tell you that and for you to even know that what I've told you is true. It's quite another thing for that to become a heart revelation that brings about a transformation that gives to you what the Bible describes as a peace that passes understanding. That you could say, I don't understand why I am where I am. I don't understand why my life is the way it is. But I just know that I need to trust Christ. I I just know that I need to have peace. Because my identity is not in this thing or that thing. My identity is Christ. And God has given me Christ, who is my life. Paul will continue this theme throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to it in very vivid detail again when we get to verses, uh, chapters 12 and 13 and 14, dealing with spiritual gifts. I woke up this morning very early, and I had this, this, uh, just this statement in my mind. I mean, I woke up, it's, I didn't hear an audible voice. I don't hear audible voices, so y'all are safe still, okay? But if I could say it this way, in my spirit, I just heard, I heard this phrase, He is the God of resurrection. He is the God of resurrection. It just was like ringing in my spirit. He is the God of resurrection. He's the God of resurrected life. He's the God of resurrected hope. He's the God of resurrected dreams. He's the God of resurrection. Do you know what it takes to experience resurrection? It takes death. There is no resurrection apart from death. You know what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth? He's saying, slaves, let your desire for freedom die. Let it die. Learn that you're a freed man in Christ. To the circumcised, he's saying, let your dream of being uncircumcised, let it die. To the uncircumcised, he's saying, let your dream of being circumcised, let it die. Those things that you thought would be your identity, let them die. Because he's the God of resurrection. The cross is a dividing line. When you read your Bible, you go to Genesis. You start in Genesis. And you think of the cross as this dividing line. It's a dividing line. between the first and the second, between the old and the new, between death and life, between Adam and Christ, between flesh and spirit. And when we come to the cross, God will not allow anything to go beyond the cross that's not of life, that's not of spirit, 
that's not of Christ. Because God's purpose is that he be glorified in you as you are brought to be conformed to the image of the Son. And that is exactly what God is doing in each of our lives right now. He is bringing us into conformity to the Son. So he's using your uncomfortable situation at work. He's using your uh, dysfunctional situation at home. He's using your discontent about the station of life that you're in right now. He's using everything, good, bad, and ugly, in and around your life. And he brings you constantly to this place, to the cross. And he says, crucify it. Crucify it. This is why Paul said, I die daily. Paul didn't get saved every day. Paul submitted himself every day to the, cru- to the cross, to the crucifixion. Paul said every day, I remind myself that I am crucified with him. That it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That thing that you want to define your life, God says bring it to the cross and let it die. And if I choose, if I will, I shall resurrect it. It might not get resurrected the way you think. It might not look the way you thought it would look. You ever wonder why the disciples didn't recognize Jesus immediately after the resurrection? I think part of the reason is because we have in our mind one thing, and we define things based on our natural mind, based on our natural sight, and God doesn't always conform to our natural thoughts and our natural sight and our natural abilities. But his way and his will is always the best. And when he brings resurrection life and resurrection power, it is first and foremost for his glory, but there is good and there is blessing and there is joy and there is life for us. That's where we will find our true joy, our true fulfillment, is when we come into his life and we are willing to submit all to the cross. And let God be the doorkeeper of what passes through to resurrection. God in his grace will not allow us to go on without bringing about this separation of death and life, of old man and new man, of first and second, of flesh and spirit, the separation of the kingdom of this world and the, and the kingdom of our God. This is the work of the cross. This is the work of the spirit. This is the work of the God of resurrection. Amen. Your identity is in Christ. You have been crucified. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. Look in the mirror and see Christ. Fix your gaze on that image of the Son of God and be transformed in ever-increasing measure to His image. Amen? Let's all stand.
You're all invited to stay for lunch. We're having chicken parmesan, I believe, and uh, salad and vegetables. It looks really good. But before we go, I want to pray, and I want to ask if there's anyone here. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up or raise your hand or anything like that. I just sense in my spirit, because I, not, not because I know what you're dealing with. I'll just say this. I sense in my spirit because I know what I'm dealing with. And I know God is doing a work. And God's work is not always comfortable. It's not always painless. But it is always life-giving and it is always profitable, and it is always glorifying to the Father. So, Lord, I ask that you would do your work in us today. If you're here right now, and God is doing a work in your life, and maybe it's even an uncomfortable or painful work, I would just ask that you would right now, where you are, just in your heart and in your spirit, Just submit that thing to God and invite Him to work in you. Invite Him to take you repeatedly to the cross and bring that separation of old and new, of first and second, of death and life, of that which is of the old versus that which is of the one new man. That if there are things in our heart and our minds, things that identify us, things that we want to identify us, that we would submit those to the Lord. And that we would ask God by His Spirit to help us find our identity in Christ. And only by Your Spirit, Lord, can we truly begin to comprehend what that means. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would do a work, a deep work by your Spirit in helping us to see who we are in Christ and helping us to see the work that Christ has done, the work that he has finished, the work that he has brought us into and made us a part of, the life that he has given to us the very identity that we have now in the life of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, help us and do a work by your Spirit and deliver us, God, from lesser things that would identify us. Deliver us, God, from the lesser things that our flesh and our old man and our carnal mind wants to latch onto. Deliver us from those things, God. And we say this morning, Father, not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.